to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. Do you have any huge regrets in life? Do you try to convince yourself that you actually don't regret anything? Do you go to great lengths to avoid doing anything that you might regret later? If so, you're going to want to hear today's show. I'm talking to New York Times bestselling author Dan Pink about his new book, The Power of Regret. Some of the things he talks about are the most common regrets people have, the best strategies for coping with regret, and how to use your regrets to create a better life. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist take. It's the part of the show where I'll break down Dan's strategies and talk about how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Daniel Pink on how your regrets can actually help you grow mentally stronger. Daniel Pink, welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. I am glad to be with you. I am super excited about your new book, The Power of Regrets. I have no doubt that it's going to help a lot of people. Regret is something that we don't talk much about. So, but before we dive into it, maybe we should have you define it. What does it really mean to have regret? Well, regret is an emotion and it's emotion that involves looking backward and thinking, oh, if only I hadn't made that stupid choice. If only I hadn't taken that path. If only I hadn't made that decision. So it's, it's backward looking and unpleasant um, and it, it makes us feel bad. And that's one reason we try to avoid it. But if we deal with it right, it can actually help us out quite a bit. So I'm a therapist. It's an issue that we deal with often in the therapy office. People will say things like, I was thinking about moving or I was thinking about taking on this new job, but I don't want to do it because I'm afraid I'm going to regret it. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that anticipation of regret, the fear of feeling regret? Yeah, that's a really interesting. That's a really, really interesting uh, topic. And there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of research on that. And, And exactly as you say, Amy, one of the things that we see with anticipating our regrets is that if we do that too much and in the wrong way, we end up making very risk averse, self-protective decisions. And so while it's helpful to anticipate your regrets, that anticipating your regrets properly can steer a behavior. It's it's sort of like, I always think, I think of anticipated regrets as like a drug that should come with a warning label. It's useful for some things, but it has a downside. And one of the big downsides is that it makes us risk averse. To me, one of my favorite examples of that is the advice on um, people um, switching answers on a multiple choice test. Like when I was a kid, you, uh, people always said, go with your first instinct. Don't switch answers. And what the research tells us is that when you switch answers, you're more likely to get it right. But the reason we don't switch is that we can more easily imagine regretting switching from a right answer to a wrong answer than we can with sticking with a wrong answer. Sticking with a wrong answer, it's like, oh, I didn't really do anything. Sticking, going from a from a right answer to a wrong answer is like, oh my God, that would be the worst thing that could ever happen. And so we end up making the wrong decision. And you did tons of research for this book and you discovered that people are more likely to regret the things that they didn't do rather than the things they did, right? Sure, that's that's in, that's in the research that I did. It's also a pretty sturdy finding in the rest of the, in, you know, in 50 years of psychological literature. Uh, and this is particularly true uh, as people age. Um, you know, younger people tend to have often more or less equal numbers of action regrets. I regret what I did 
and inaction regrets are what I didn't do. But as people age, inaction regrets totally dominate. Why do you think that is, that the older we get, the more we think I should have done that? Um, I think that it's a great question. I think there are a number of reasons for it. One of them is that action regrets sometimes are easier to resolve. So let's say that I have hurt somebody or offended somebody or, you know, maybe done even something worse than that. I can try to make amends. I can try to apologize. I can try to restore that person. And that can kind of extinguish the inaction regret. But if I regret that I never started a business, that I stayed in a lackluster job and never started a business, that's not going to get resolved anytime soon. And so it's, it sticks with us. Um, and, and a lot of the regrets, the core regrets, a lot of them go to inaction, um, particularly these regrets of, regrets of boldness, not starting a business, not asking somebody out on a date, not traveling, not speaking up. Those are the things that really, really stick with people. Interesting. So what when you were doing your research, what kind of regrets did you find people had? What were some common ones, things people said I shouldn't have done that or I Oh my lord. Okay. That. So 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 what happened? So for for part of the research here, what I did is I collected regrets from around the world. I ended up gathering about 16,000 regrets from 105 countries. It's nuts. Uh, I I couldn't believe I ended up with so many of them. And as I started going through them, what I discovered is that over and over again around the world, people had the same four core regrets. And these were not these were ir irrespective of the domain of life. Um, so we, we tended to we, we tend to think about regrets in, in the domains of life. So that's like, oh, it's a career regret. It's an education regret. It's a romance regret. But deep down, there was something else going on. So one regret was what I call foundation regrets. Those are regrets are if only I'd done the work. And these are a lot of people who regret not saving money, not taking care of their health, smoking, not working hard enough in school, things, little decisions that ended up having big consequences later on. I mentioned boldness regrets, uh, which is, you know, if only I'd taken the chance. And those are huge for people, huge. Um, another really interesting category, you might hear this in your therapist's office. Um, I heard it in a lot in my online confessional <laughs> was, um, was moral regrets, where people are at a juncture and they have a choice. They can do the right thing or do the wrong thing. And they do the wrong thing and it bothers them. 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later. So on that, I had a lot of um, a lot of regrets about bullying uh, earlier yes. in, in life. Have you heard that in your office? All the time. Somebody will say when I was in the third grade, I was mean to somebody and they're 45 years old and they still feel really bad about that. But isn't that interesting, though? I mean, I had, I had a lot of a lot of bullying regrets. Uh, infidelity uh, was it was a big one, too. And, and I think in a weird way, these moral regrets, uh, you know, if only I'd done the right thing. In a weird way, I found them kind of heartening because it, the fact that someone still bugged, comes into your office and is still bugged by something they did 30 years ago, to me suggests we actually, most of us want to be good. We, you, know, that we, 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 you know what I mean? That we want to, we want to do the right thing. Uh, and when we don't, it, it bothers us. I think that's in a weird way kind of ennobling. And then the final category are, huge category, connection regrets. Those are if only I had reached out. And those are about relationships of every kind, not only romantic relationships, which tend to get all the press, but relationships of parents and kids, of siblings, of other relatives, of friends, huge numbers of relationships, regrets about drifting apart from friends and not wanting to reach out, feeling like it's going to be awkward, feeling like the other side won't care and drifting further. And so those four regrets, you know, to me are very revealing about what we all want out of life. It is, isn't it? And the the thought that there were you did so much research and uncovered so many of the same things over and over again. What surprised you the most about the research that you did? 
I think it was part partly that very thing that that how universal some of these regrets were. Um, uh, I think that it surprised me when I looked. I also did a quantitative uh, uh, piece of research where I did a, a survey and and a, a public opinion survey of the U.S. population and looking especially for demographic differences. And there weren't that that many of them, actually. Um, you know, there's some differences, some differences based on age, which I mentioned before. Um, a lot of it has to do, a lot of the regrets have to do with different levels of opportunity. So in a, in a sort of counterintuitive way that I think makes sense once you think about it, people with more formal education had more career regrets than people with less formal education. And that's interesting. Well, and yeah, so it sounds kind of weird. And then I thought about it. It's like, well, if you have more formal education, you, you have maybe more opportunities and therefore more foregone opportunities. So that was kind of, that was kind of interesting, but the, but I think of the universality of it, that, that in this, in this giant database of 16,000 regrets, you know, over and over and over again, the same things kept coming up. So let me tell you about something else that comes up often in my therapy office. Yeah. And if you heard much of this, sometimes people will come in for treatment and they finally find something that works for them. Maybe they mm. take an antidepressant mm. or they discover that there are strategies that work. And then they're so upset that they didn't do it sooner and uh, they regret it because they'll say 20 years ago, if I would have known this existed or if I would have just gotten help the first time somebody suggested it, I could have really enjoyed those last 20 years, yet I resisted it. Did you hear a lot of those kinds of regrets? I did. And they're in the book. I mean, I heard a lot of those things. Um, and and on that one, you know, again, my view is that we can use reg if the, we can use regret as something to, to help us move forward, um, that it, we, we can look backward you know, sort of let ourselves off the hook a little bit, disclose it to somebody else, draw a lesson from it and apply that lesson going forward. That's a little bit of a tougher one. Um, you know, that's a, that's a little bit of a tougher one. To me, you know, it's like, I mean, again, this is a cliche, but there's that old Chinese adage, you know, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. Second best time is today. And so, you know, yeah, you didn't do the 20 years ago. You did it today. So, you know, that's good. Let's move on. And it is a tough one because people will say, now I'm finally happy, but it's almost like I can't enjoy my happiness or I can't enjoy this good thing in my life because I'm so upset I didn't do it before. Yeah. So for a lot of people, that's tough to work through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, you know, a, I mean, you're a therapist, but a strategy that people have used for that, for, for those kinds of things, there's, there's certain kinds of regrets that we have where we, we might not be able to do anything about that particular regret. So one way to... to at least feel better about those. It's is to do what to do what I call it. What's what's called at leasting it, or I call it leasting it, which is basically to do a what's called what's what it is called a downward counterfactual. Imagine how things could have turned out worse. And so, um, and so when we when we do that, it makes us feel better. And be, just simply feeling better is sometimes totally valuable. And so, what I have again in the database over and over again are regrets like, oh, you know. I, I mean, almost all from women. Um, I shouldn't have married that that idiot, but at least I have these two great kids. So, a thing to do on on uh, for for people who regret, and I have them in the book, who regret not getting that kind of help earlier, was like, well, at least I didn't wait another five years. Yeah, I like that. I think sometimes we tend to look at the best case scenario and think it could have been that great, but yeah, it could have been that worse too if you waited longer. I, I think just as a general tool for navigating life, to me, you know, you have to ask life's most important follow-up question, which is compared to what, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, you wish you, you had, you had taken that antidepressant or that anti-anxiety med 15 years ago, 
but um, compared to what? To compared to like waiting another fifteen years. So, um, so I think that can be I can be helpful. But I, I did hear I did hear a lot of that, and those are those are a little tougher to work through. They are, but I'm glad that not only did you talk about some of the common regrets and uh, issues that come up with regret, but thankfully you then talked about how to deal with our regret, the strategies that we can do. Can we talk about some of those so our listeners can say, all right, I can move forward with this regret? Because you really say it's not a bad thing that we can optimize regret and use it as a way to move forward. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing that, I mean, let's start with the starting premises here that everybody has regrets, okay? This idea that that we should not have regrets is is absurd. I mean, everybody has regrets. it's part of our cognitive machinery. We have regrets for a reason because they're instructive. It's it's the one of the most common emotions of any kind. It's, a, it's the most common negative emotion. Um, but the question really, and again, it's a therapeutic question in a way, is like, what do we do with these negative feelings? Do we ignore them? No, that's a bad idea. Do we wallow in them? No, that's a, <laughs> that's a worse idea. Uh, what do we do? We use them as signals. We use them as signals for our thinking. And so, you know, one of the things that we can do is, is in some ways reframe the way we look inward. Um, I mean, you're obviously familiar with the work on self-compassion. It was new to me, but, you know, a lot of times when we, when we, when we make mistakes, when we have blunders, we just rip ourselves, we excoriate ourselves. And that's a bad idea. There's very little evidence that self-criticism leads to positive outcomes. Uh, self-esteem isn't that much better. Uh, what we should be doing is self-compassion, which is very simple from Kristen Neff at the University of Texas. Basically, treat yourself with the same warmth and understanding that you would treat somebody else. Recognize that your missteps are part of the human condition. Recognize that a misstep is not definitional of your entire being. And you know, in some ways, I mean, it sounds touchy-feely, but, but treat yourself with some kindness. That's the first step. Second step, you know, why people go to therapy in, in some ways is, is disclosure. Disclosure is inherently valuable. Um, it, um, it converts these blobby mental abstractions into concrete, less fearsome words. It begins the sense-making process. And the other thing is actually then to get some distance from your regret and say, okay, what do I do about this? How do I extract a lesson from it? Um, and and um, there are all kinds of techniques for doing that. So the way I look at it is sort of like look inward, express outward, move forward. And that can be super useful for people to, to take this negative, aversive emotion and draw lessons from it to guide the rest of their life. Oh, that makes so much sense. And so let's, uh, let's kind of break that down a little bit. You talk about disclosure. I hear a lot of people say things like, um, oh, I don't really have any regrets in my life. If somebody says that, do you think that they're lying? Are they lying? I don't think that Mm. they're lying. I think what they're doing, Amy, is not thinking hard. So Mm. let me give you an example of that. So again, go back to like, I got so many regrets. Okay, so so I got this database of regrets that people could volunteer to contribute. And I have several entries that begin. I don't have any regrets. I don't believe in regrets, comma. But, and then they go on to say that they feel bad that they hurt somebody. They feel bad yep. that they never got a chance to travel. They feel bad that they lost touch with their brother. Um, and so I think that we, we, that there's something about the word itself that people find aversive. And in, actually, in my quantitative survey, this this study, this poll of 4,489 Americans, we I asked asked a question that avoided using the word. I said, you know, how often do you look back on your life? and wish you had done things differently, okay? So I didn't say the word regret. 
And what we found is that it was 83% of Americans did that at least occasionally. 1% said they did it never um, because I didn't call it regret. Uh, I called Interesting. it- Interesting. And, um, and so, it, but here's the thing, we, we need to, you know, we need to normalize regret. Every, everybody has it. It's part of our cognitive machinery. It exists for a reason. And we've stigmatized it so much and we're so loath to talk about it when in fact, every piece of evidence tells us that, that regret is normal. Regret makes us human. Regret treated right can make us better. It instructs us. It clarifies the world for us. And there are some simple affirmative steps that we can take to remake our regrets into forces for good. I find that too in the therapy office. If I ask somebody about a regret, they might be more likely to say something like, well, I don't really regret anything. I messed up a few times. I learned from it. So it's not really that I regret it, but because I think you're right. We are, we just don't like that word. Yeah. Regret. I mean, I mean, it is a regret. It's like you, it's a, it's a regret. You, it's a regret. It's a regret you've dealt with in a healthy way. You have a regret. Right. I, re, you know, I regret uh, taking that job without doing enough due diligence uh, behind it. Um, but I learned that I need to do more due diligence before I accept the job. Okay. It's still a regret, but you've dealt with it in a, you've dealt with it in a healthy way. Um, this idea that, that a healthy person simply extinguishes all regret is just not right. Did you get the idea that a lot of people who were telling you about their regret, that this might be the first time they've ever acknowledged it to anybody else? Interesting question. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Um, I, and so I had, and people who completed the survey um, who, you know, who, who, who contributed their regret to this world regret survey, this 16,000 regrets that I have a few people mentioned that then when I did some follow-up interviews with people who had opted in to include their people had the chance to opt in to include their email address if they wanted to be contact for fo contacted for follow-up interviews and huge numbers of people did more than I would have expected. And I, and I interviewed a lot of people and I did hear that this is the first time I ever told anybody this because, um, and, but yeah, I mean, I mean, because I'm part of it, part of the way we deal with regret is, is we disclose, is we disclose it. And we've gotten disclosure all wrong too. I mean, disclosure is an unburdening, but again, as I said before, the reason disclosure is helpful is because these negative emotions are abstract. They're blobby, they're amorphous, they're menacing. And when we convert them into words by writing about them or talking about them, we defang them. They become less fearsome. And so that is really useful. The other thing that we're wrong on is that we, and, and there's 30 years of research in behavioral science about this, is we think when we disclose our vulnerabilities, our mistakes, our weaknesses, people will like us less. And they generally like us more because they admire our courage. They empathize with us. I have no doubt that when a lot of people say, oh, I regret this, the other person you're talking to can relate to it or they might be able to say, yeah, I've gone through something similar. I regret this in my life and people will be much more willing to talk about it. That's exactly, I mean, you're exactly right. That's one of the things that got me on this in the first place. This whole topic is that I had, I realized that I was at a point in my life where I had some regrets and, and you know, I had a, a moment at one of my kids' graduations where I just started thinking about it. And and I very sheepishly came back and started talking a little bit about it with people. I don't know why. And I, I'd expected people to kind of like, ooh. But instead, they leaned forward. I mean, literally, in some cases, like leaned forward and said, oh, wow, I can totally. Well, I did. You know, and I'm like, whoa, wait a second. That's really interesting. Maybe we've gotten this emotion totally wrong. And one of the things you talked about in your book is you don't necessarily need to disclose it to a therapist or even anybody yeah. else. But you talk about journaling or just 
uh, leaving a, a message, doing an auditory sort of journal too, and how yeah. powerful that could be. Yeah, there's some really good research on this. Um, there's some really good research on this. I mean, James Pennebaker at Texas has done 30 years of research on the importance of just writing about things privately. Uh, so if you're skittish about disclosing it to other other people, just writing about your regret for 15 minutes a day for three days can be can be really useful because again, it defangs the regret. It makes it less menacing and it begins the sense-making process. And is there anything specific we should write? Do you stick to the facts? Do you talk about the emotions? Do you talk about what you think would have happened if you would have done something differently or anything to make it really uh, I'm not sure. I think that there is something to be, I don't know. I think there's something to be said for simply recounting it. And that happened mm -hmm. a lot in the interviews. People just wanted to recount it. And once they told the story of it, that unburdening in some ways freed them. And so, and, and, and once they unburden it, they can try to derive a lesson from it. So I think, and I'm not sure about the research on this, but I think that the best move is to just recount the story, take a beat, another beat and say, what did I learn from this? Because I think it's easy for our imaginations to get carried away with us, right? If I would have dated that person longer, if I would have taken that other job, I'd be rich and famous and I'd love my life and I'd be so happy. And uh, we could really easily romanticize that life would be way better if we'd done something. And on the flip side, if I hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have, or we maybe still think that that kid we bullied in the third grade is still thinking about it. They might not even remember it. But in our heads, I think we really easily get caught up thinking about all of these magical things that we're imagining as truth. It's true because here's the thing. I mean, it's a great point because we are natural storytellers. It's our ability to tell, to, you know, to regret is an amazing thing that human beings do. It's a combination of time travel and storytelling. It's like, I, I can't imagine any other species is able to do this, what, what we do here. And so, so the question then becomes, do we use our remarkable powers of time travel and storytelling to lift ourselves up or to bring ourselves down? And on that one, we have to, we have a choice. I mean, we have volition over this. We can, I think we can easily use these incredible cognitive and emotional skills to chart a way forward for our life rather than ruminate over the past. I like that time travel and storytelling. That's Makes what it's it really all about. Simple. That's yeah. what it's all, that's what, that's what we're good is all about. We go in our heads to, okay, so you mentioned like, oh, if I only, uh, I don't know, would you say had dated that person or hadn't dated that person? You know, if only I had, had, had kept dating that person. Okay, so you're going back in time. <laughs> all right, and then you're, rewriting the story. All right. You've sort of like done an edit on the story. You're telling a new story and then you travel back in time. And because you've changed what happened in the past, what the future now is different. I mean, it's incredible. It's like, this is why, this is why, um, you know, five-year-olds can't, don't experience regret. Their brains haven't developed enough. Um, you know, you have to be, it takes until about seven or eight where kids even understand the concept of regret because it's so emotionally and cognitively complex. Um, but again, when we have something that is that is universal, complex, and you know, omnipresent, you have to say, well, why do we have that? It must serve some kind of purpose. And it's very clear that regret's purpose is to make us better. And that's where the self-compassion comes in, right? Absolutely. If we treat ourselves with a little kindness, then we can learn from it rather than beating ourselves up about it over and over again. I really think that's the starting point. Like, like you, 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 it's hard to draw lessons from your behavior, from your regret, if you begin the process by just thwacking yourself over it. Um, you're going to be too beaten to extract any kind of a lesson. What you want to do is, you know, start out by looking inward 
and just, you know, treat yourself with a little bit of kindness. And, you know, as you know, from the research on self-compassion, the research on self-compassion is amazing. Um, I, I, I did not know much about it. I was blown away by how powerful it is as uh, a force for physical health, uh, for traits like wisdom and curiosity. Uh, it's, it's a very powerful concept. Uh, I wish it were more widely taught. I do too. We had uh, Dr. Kristen Neff on our show to yeah. talk about self-compassion and, and what a superpower it can be. And another thing that you talked about is self-distancing. Can we talk a little bit about how some strategies that we can use to gain a little distance from that thing that we just did or didn't do? Totally. There are all kinds of things. I mean, here's the thing. The, fundamentally, you know, we all know this. We're better solving other people's problems than our own. So one way to solve your own problem or get lessons from your own problem is to distance from it. And so there are all kinds of ways you can do that. I mean, they're going to sound like silly, but there's pretty good research on this. So for instance, let's say that you, um, you know, wanted to know, uh, uh, how should I deal with this regret that I didn't take that career opportunity? Um, you know, instead of saying, what should I do? You ask yourself, what should Amy do? I mean, even talking to yourself in the third person, uh, is, is, um, is, is valuable. Uh, you can distance in time. You can say, okay, it's 10 years from now. I'm looking back on this this decision, what, what do I want to have done? Uh, you can, um, you know, you can sort of distance it. I like why well, I think one really interesting technique, it's really the key about zooming out. So you can, you can look at it almost clinically and say, okay, I'm in this room examining this regret in a pristine, clean laboratory, you know, as a, almost like a, examining a cadaver or something like that. Like, what am I learning from? And I'm a doctor of regret sciences. What am I learning from this? And what am I advising um, people to do? And again, I think that one of the best, you know, I think that one of the best decision-making tools in general for anything is if you're stuck is to say, okay, what would you tell your best friend to do? And once we do that, we always, almost always know. It becomes crystal clear when you think, oh, well, I'd tell them don't worry about it or, or, or go ahead and try it and see what happens. That's what self-distancing is. It's, taking a step back, taking it, getting some space in literally in physical space or in time or with language to give yourself the ability to solve your own problem as adroitly as you would solve someone else's problem. Right. When you take all that emotion out of it, that clouds our judgment, the anxiety and the the fear and all of those things. Yeah. You take all that out and you think, oh yeah, that's what I'd say to somebody else. Before we go, I'd love to know, can you tell us what some of your regrets are? Sure. I mean, I have, I have plenty of them. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I do, I do. Um, I, um, I guess one of the biggest ones was earlier in my life. I just felt I wasn't kind enough. Um, mm. you know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I wasn't cruel to anybody, I don't think, but I wasn't affirmatively kind. So, you know, just think about all these situations that I was in where like some kind of social situation, it was very clear to me as like someone as like a sort of introverted guy, a writer an observer, you look around and you see like somebody on the periphery who's like being left out and it's like, okay, that person's being left out. And I didn't do a freaking thing. You know, um, um, sometimes other people were mis- might be mistreating somebody else and I didn't step in to, to do anything. Uh, I didn't go affirmatively out of my way to be kind. And that really bugged me. It still bugs me. And I try to, you know, use that. I try to use that. Uh, I try to use that going forward. I also did something. I, I love this technique is, is put together a failure resume, which is a, Instead of having a, you know, I mean, you think about our resumes, they're these glorious, glistening documents about how awesome we are. And, but a failure resume is the exact opposite, where you list all of your failures, setbacks, screw ups. And I did that. And then, but what's important is that you do that. So disclosure is helpful. 
you do that. And then you say, what did I learn from this? And by doing that, I learned just on the professional level that a lot of my screw ups, a lot of my regrets, a lot of my mistakes kept coming back to the same two kind of core uh, mistakes that I've, I think I've done a better job of trying to avoid. Oh, I like that. That's got to be a brave thing to do, even if you know you're the only one looking at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, believe me, no one's, ever, no one's ever seen my failure resume. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's painful. But here's the thing. You know, it's like, it's like, like, I mean, you're a therapist, so you understand this, but it's like sort of what do we do with pain? What do we do with, what do we do with any kind of pain, particularly the pain of a negative emotion? Do we ignore it? Bad idea. Do we revel in it? Bad idea. Do we use it as a signal for our thinking? That's the approach. I love that. Well, thank you so much for writing this book. I have no doubt that you're going to change how a lot of us think about regret and it's going to be super helpful. Well, I hope so. That's nice of you to say. Thanks for having me on the show, Amy. Absolutely. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is a part of the show where I'll break down Dan's mental strength building strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of Dan's strategies for dealing with regret that I highly recommend. Number one, share your regret. Dan said it's important to disclose your regret. Fortunately, you might not have to tell someone else about it, though. You might benefit from writing in a journal. Even if no one else sees it, writing down your regrets might help you make more sense of it. This is a great strategy. We often want to avoid thinking about the things that we regret. After all, most of those things we can't go back and change. Of course, there might be times when you can make amends, but for the most part, you can't do anything about the past. But the more you try not to think about something you regret, the more you might be haunted by it. So give it a shot. Take a little time to think about a few of your regrets. Acknowledge them either to yourself or someone else and see what happens. Number two, practice self-compassion. The way you talk to yourself matters. And Dan shares how important it is to treat yourself with some compassion. This is a topic that we've tackled on our show quite a few times because the research is clear. Talking to yourself the same way you talk to a friend can help you learn and grow from your experiences. Yet, most of us struggle to be kind to ourselves. We're often much more critical of ourselves than we are of other people. If you beat yourself up for a mistake that you made, stop and ask yourself, what would I say to my friend right now? Then give yourself those same kind words. And number three, get some psychological distance. It's tough to make decisions when you're afraid that you might do something that you're going to regret later. So I like that Dan talked about getting some psychological distance. This is a strategy that can help take the emotions out of a decision. There are lots of ways to do this. One is to do just what we talked about. Ask yourself what you'd say to a friend. Another way is to do some time travel. Imagine an older version of yourself asking, are you more likely to regret something that you're about to do or something that you're not about to do? I like that Dan's research showed regrets are more likely to involve chances not taken. So you might keep that in mind as you anticipate feeling regret later. So those are three ways that you could turn your regrets into opportunities to grow stronger. Share your regret, practice self-compassion, and get some psychological distance. If you want more tips for dealing with regret, check out Dan's book, The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward. Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. 
To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcast.